to begin this morning, I want you to imagine that um, times are really tight and finances are um, tough, and maybe you don't have to imagine too hard, but uh, imagine you only have $20 and you got to go get groceries for the week. And so you're going to head over to Aldi's because you could probably get the, the most for, for there. And you're thinking like, what would you get? You know, you're, you're plotting in your mind. How can I make this $20 stretch as far as I possibly can? You know, maybe you got to for your whole family or just a couple of you. And, of course, you're thinking, should I get the, uh, those cream puffs they have? Those are the best. You know, maybe get, uh, you know, a couple bags of nacho chips or something. But no, no, you're going to make sure you get the good stuff. And, um, but as you're going, you see um, someone kind of outside, and he's, he's just looking at people, and he makes eye contact, and you go over talking, and, and you can tell he's from China. Um, and as you talk to him, he, he, he explains that he had just traveled straight from China, that the Lord had sent him to Glenville, New York, and that um, he is here to, to bring the message of Christ, the, the good news of the gospel. And, um, but he's, all that he had, he spent just to get here. And now the Lord had told him that the person he meets at the grocery store would provide for him. And so this missionary from China says, um, the Lord says you're supposed to spend your money to get me groceries. Would you do it? Yeah. That's what's going on in our passage today in some ways. Um, the, the question that we're looking at really for this week, but also the whole series, is simply this. What will God do when his people begin to go astray? And they begin to worship the gods of Canaan, the Canaanite gods, instead of staying true to the Lord, the God of Israel, the Yahweh. And we began this last week, and I want to do just a quick recap to make sure everyone kind of knows what's going on, because it's, this is going to be kind of an ongoing story, but this, this overarching issue is, is, what has, is what's going to keep coming up. And, and so the, the question is, um, or the issue is, is Ahab is the new king, and he has built a temple for Baal, the chief god of the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, and Baal uh, is the storm god. And so anyways, G God has had to respond to that. How will God respond? Because God had said it, that you are my people, Israel, but you should not worship any other gods. God had set up a covenant relationship with the Israelites. He would bless and protect them, but they would worship one God and one God only, and the one true God. And so what will God do in response to his people beginning to go astray? He will send a prophet. He sends Elijah to begin to advocate and, and, and tell the people they're going the wrong direction and specifically admonish the king for what he's doing. And Elijah declares there will be no rain in Israel until God gives the word. And the reason is, is Baal, people were praying to Baal for rain. 
And so he was also a fertility God. He would be the one. And, and the Lord wanted to teach the people to turn to him and not to Baal. Now, this would make Elijah very unpopular with the king, but also with the people, right? That, this, would, this is going to sting. This is going to hurt. And so God sends Elijah into hiding. And he hides him in the, the mountainous desert area the desert wilderness, and he provides for, for Elijah. We talked about this last week, how ravens would bring him bread and meat to eat, and he would drink from a brook. And so that was where we got to last week. And now it starts something new. The brook dries up. The means by which God had been providing for his prophet goes away. Now, it's interesting so Elijah himself is experiencing the consequences of the judgment he himself had called for, right? So I think there's something to that for, for us as believers. You know, oftentimes we, we want the people to see the, the experience, the consequences of their, their decisions and actions, but we're not called to just issue judgment that, that is on them. It oftentimes... It's going to affect all of us. If God, if God is going to deal with, with the, the brokenness in a nation, it's going to affect us too. We're going to experience some of the same things. And that's what we see here. So the brook dries up. And, and here's, here's what I was thinking about. Is, is the very thing God was using to sustain Elijah is gone. What would that feel like? Right? You've, you've gotten used to this. And maybe God had led you to something for a time. And for a time, it was, it was great, right? You sensed God was at work in it. But then it goes away. I can think in times in my ministry where for a season, there, there's some, something that we're doing was really working well. And I knew God was working through it. And then for mysterious reasons, it just stops happening. For me, it was when I worked with teenagers, this teenager stopped coming, right? Or very few, and you have to switch gears. And you just wonder why. Why does it go as it does? And when it comes to the plans of God, there's always a bit of a mystery. There's always a sense of God, God is at work in things that we cannot understand. I, I, I think of Isaiah 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We ever have to keep that in mind. That is, we try to discern God's will and leading. Ultimately, we remember he, his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours. But God will not leave his prophet hanging. He will provide for a, in a different way. And that's where we get with verse 8. So the word of the Lord comes to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now God's going to provide. But this is not what we were expecting. So two, two things about this that are, that are very unexpected. First of all, Zarephath is not in Israel. It is actually, I got the map on the screen, and I don't know how well you can see it, but the, the light green is Israel proper. 
Zarephath is a town in between Sidon and Tyre. That is Phoenicia. That is the heart of Baal country. In other words, God is sending his prophet to the very place where the issue, the, the issue is coming from, the enemy country. And God is actually going to hide Elijah in plain sight in some ways. Like he's going to be where um, they won't know him because they don't know the Israelite prophets, at least by sight. So he's actually able to hide there, but he's at the back door of Queen Jezebel who's the one who's actually trying to kill the prophets of the Lord. We don't know that yet, but that's, that's coming next week. And so God has his purposes. So that's unexpected part number one is where. And then the even more unexpected is who. He will provide for his prophet through a widow. Now, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Aren't God's people supposed to provide for widows? Uh, the the James says, religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after or orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God's people are called to, to care for those in need, including and especially those who have no other one to turn to, like orphans and widows. But here, God is going to use this widow. And just to clarify the picture, we find out that she's, she's not an older widow. She, she has a young child. In fact, a better picture name might really be a desperate mother. And so he's going to send her to this woman, and that's who God's going to provide for the prophet from. And then it turns out this widow herself is in her own desperate situation. Elijah gets there, and he gets to Zarephath, and he doesn't know what he's doing. And so he goes to the gates of the city, and he's just watching and sometimes following God's leading, God's spirit is like this. Like you're, you don't exactly know. God does not give you a, a list of steps. It's not like MapQuest, right, where it tells you turn left here, go here. Does anyone still use MapQuest? I, I, probably not. Um, already outdated. But anyways, that's not how God works. Instead, Elijah goes to Zarephath. He's waiting, and he's watching. And he sees a woman uh, who is drawing water. And so he takes a step out to see maybe this is the, the woman God means. And so he asked her for a drink of water, um, just to, to draw him some water as well. And when she responds positively, then he, he does the test. And then could you bring me something to eat, a morsel of food, some bread? And this is when we find out that this woman herself is, is just barely getting by. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. She, she's out of food. Like, right, they have enough for one last small meal for her and her son. So she is a widow. Um, maybe she lost her husband in war. Um, and she's trying to, 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 to make ends meet. And it's, it's a famine, a drought all, all around Things are tough all throughout that area because of Elijah's pronouncement. And, and she's lost all hope. What does she say? Yeah, we're going to eat this meal and then we're going to die. She doesn't see a way out of this. She doesn't have anywhere else to turn. I wonder if maybe 
she, she did turn somewhere. I wonder if she had been praying and maybe she realized that God bailed, didn't, wasn't answering, that, that there was nothing to it. And maybe she even considered, you know, God, if you're out there, maybe even if the God of Israel might be the one. And so, I don't know, it says the Lord has chosen this widow for a reason, and it says God back with Elijah said, I have, I've already spoken to this widow. So I think there's already communications established. And she even says when she talks to Elijah, says, as the Lord your God lives. Right, I think she's seeing, she, she knows something, even if she doesn't understand at all. Now, um, Elijah says, do not fear. I, I have trouble imagining myself doing what Elijah does here, right? He, he, she just said she has nothing left hardly except for a small meal for her and her son. And so Elijah says, okay, that's great. First, make a sandwich for me, right? You know, take what little you have left and give me most of it. I'm like, that, I, I just... Have trouble, you know, but then he says, if you do that, then the Lord will provide for you. If you do that, if you trust in this way, it's, it's that illustration with the Chinese missionary, right? First, give me what you have. Show me that you trust me enough that you're not thinking that little bit you have is actually going to provide for you. Show me some sign of faith. And, and he says, you know, he says, the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, and Elijah makes it clear, if God responds, it's not, not the God that they worship, not the God Baal. It is the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord. He will answer. He will provide. When I get to the eternal kingdom at the resurrection of the righteous, when Jesus returns at the very end, one day, I think one of the first people I want to go find um, is Justin Bieber. No. Um, is, is this woman. And I want to, I want to, like, I think this is amazing. I think more amazing than the miracle God does is you said yes, right? You had one last meal for you and your son, and you chose to give it to this prophet from another nation. What got you to that point? Like, I think this is amazing, her response. And it, it shows there's something in her. that The only word we have that we could use for that is called faith. Right? She has put her faith in something. Maybe something she doesn't know a lot about. But, but she's come to see that the God of Israel just might be real, and she's going she's gonna to trust what little she knows to this God. And this, this faith is not hypothetical. Right? Sometimes people will say, oh, just have faith. You know? And oftentimes then, the faith they're talking about is very hypothetical. Right? It's all about believing something in your mind. This is, this is action. Right? It, it, if you say, J James, in his letter, one of the later Bible passages, James He's writing, he says, if you say you have faith, th that's great, you know, right? But you know what? If It doesn't mean much if it's not put into practice. 
he, he says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action or deeds, is dead. In other words, it's not really, it's not really faith. Faith that's just a hypothetical is not faith. Faith is meant to be, you have to go somewhere with it. And, and we see that in this, this woman. And, and faith that is real, faith that is alive, is faith that's able to bring us salvation for eternity. It says that we, it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. By faith alone in Jesus Christ, by his grace, do we receive salvation in God's hands. And I think this is a great picture of what that, that faith looks like. And because she, she trusts in the word of God through Elijah, she sees God in action and she sees salvation, both for her and her son, through it. So then we get to this miracle. And I, I love this miracle. It's, it's kind of low-key, right? It's, you know, it's just kind of relaxed. You know, it's not like this dramatic thing that you could see and point to. I don't know if, if she could show her neighbors. You know, I don't know if she was, maybe it wouldn't be wise to show her neighbors what was going on. Um, it's simply, they, they take, you know, they use up the, the flour and the oil to make bread, cakes, basically pancakes. They're having pancakes for, for breakfast and dinner every day. Um, and then when they come back, there's more flour and oil, and it just never goes empty. Like, okay. And it's God providing. Now, God is providing just enough for the day to come. I mean, I would want to game the system. I'd be like, let me get some other things. And I, I don't know if this would work. I'd be curious. Like, could she, like, scoop out a bunch of flour into some other thing and then, then like, start selling it, you know? And then would it, would it refill? I, I, don't think, I don't think God was going to let that work. I think he was, the whole intent is he was providing just enough for the day. Um, because God does that in other cases. When the people of Israel are wandering throughout the, the desert, and they have no food, God sends manna, which is a thing like bread, or they use it to make bread. And, and they all want to gather up extra. And God makes it so that the manna, if they, if they try to gather enough for the next day, it rots overnight and stinks. So, like, the, they, they learn. He has to teach them to not gather too much, gather just enough for one day, so that every day they wake up, and they got to trust God again. So God's teaching through this miracle. Give us this day our daily bread. So that goes on for a time. And I, I can imagine they're, they're looking at, you know, seeing how this is working. It, it'd be building their faith as they just saw God act day by day by day, learning to rely on him. And then there's a tragedy. Tragedy strikes, and this, this mother, understandably, goes into a crisis of faith. Her son dies, mysteriously. You can't really, it's as he became ill, and his illness was so severe, there was no breath in him, right? And all of a sudden, whether, whether this happened very suddenly or, or not, but it was not expected, he just, he just dies. And, and she's like, I thought I could trust this God. What does she say? What have you against me, O oh man of God? You come to me 
to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So, first of all, there's a story here we don't know. You come to me to bring my sin to remembrance? This woman has a sense of guilt still upon her. Right? There's something, and maybe, I don't know what she means. There's a story here. You know what I found out? That most everybody has a story. We have something. Something maybe we wouldn't want anyone else to know. Something that we feel gets in the way between us and God. Um, and then she sees this as judgment from God. As Elijah actually causing it by bringing God near to her. You know, what have you done to me? And God is against me. And so um, she, she needs to understand that, that that's not the God that, that, that Elijah's been talking about. But, but that's the picture of God she has because that's what her culture taught. Right? That's what Baal was like. She assumed that Yahweh would be the same. So, of course, what Elijah needs to do is sit down with her and, and do a little theology teaching. And begin to instruct her in what God is really like and set her straight. That's not what he does, is it? Instead, Elijah springs into action. He, he doesn't hold her words against her in any way. And, and instead, he goes and he begins to, to pray for her son. And he, he prays very intensely. I, I find this striking. Like he, he lays out the, the boy on a bed and he goes into private. I, I don't know if he does that because maybe Elijah's not sure God's going to answer. You know, who knows? I, I don't think he, but he, he goes into private and then he even stretches out on the boy like he's doing uh, resuscitating like CPR. And he breathes into the boy and says, God, bring him back to life. Don't do this. He prays intently for this, this, this woman and, and her son, or for her son. And God answers. After the third time, the boy comes back to life. God is the author of life and death. And, um, and then he has the joy of presenting her son back to the widow. Right? Here's your son. He is alive. God is real. And then what does she say? Now I know. Now I know this is true. Right? The, 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 the jar of flour was pretty impressive. But this is, this is even more. Now I know that you are a man of God. You really were sent by this God, weren't you? And, and I know that the word of the Lord that you've told me, the word in your mouth, is true. I know that the, this, this, this message you brought, this, this God you serve is the real one, is the one I can trust in. Now we see prayer answered and faith is, is built up. I, I want to first talk about some parallels between Elijah and Jesus. And I, I find this fascinating um, there's, there's a lot of commonalities. So Elijah was simply a prophet, right? He was a man sent by God. 
Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and when you compare, you see some differences. In, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus interacts with another desperate mother, um, a parent, whose child is dead. And, and well, he actually has done two things. One is he did raise a boy who's, who was the son of a widow, raised him back to life. But that's in a different place. In Mark 5, though, when, when it's a little girl and, and she has died and her parents had come to her, he's able to raise her to life, but he doesn't need to do all the drama of Elijah. He simply um, says two words in Aramaic, Talitha Kaum, little girl, I say to you, get up. That's what it means, to arise. And so Jesus, the Son of God, had authority in himself to bring a child back to life, where Elijah was just calling upon God. So that happens in Mark 5. And then you go to Mark 6. And so as Elijah had provided bread, effectively, for, for, for those in need, and I mean that jar of flour and the, the jug of oil, that's a, an impressive miracle, repeating and and it fed three people. Jesus did a miracle multiplying bread and fish that would feed 5,000, and that's only if you're counting the men. Easily could have been 15, 20,000 people with women and children. And so, so he, he raises a child to life with ease. Jesus feeds through a miracle with bread 5,000 plus people. So that's Mark 6. And then in Mark 7... Jesus goes out of Israel into the same exact area where Elijah had been with near Zarephath. It says he's in the region of Tyre and Sidon. And in Mark 7, Jesus encounters a desperate mother. We don't know if she was a widow or not. We just know she had come to Jesus seeking healing for her child who was, who was home and dying and and, and at first Jesus was saying, I, I, I'm not able to do this. I'm, I'm here with my disciples. And he knew if he went with her and did this, it would lead to crowds. And I, I've talked in the past, like, why he was hesitant to do this miracle. But the woman has such incredible faith. She says, I don't need you to come with me. All I need you to do is speak a word. All I need is a crumb from you. And when Jesus sees her immense faith, faith like this other woman from Tyre and Sidon, um, he says, go, your child is well. And so we see these, uh, these parallels between Elijah and Jesus. And there's one last one. So you had Mark 5, Mark 6, Mark 7, and Mark 8. Jesus challenges disciples to think about who he is. And he says, well, who do people say I am? And one of their answers was, well, some people think you're Elijah the prophet. Well, of course, he's doing a lot of the same stuff as Elijah. And then ultimately, he says, but then who do you say that I am? And that's when they affirm, no, you are the Messiah. You are the Holy One of God. So that happens in Mark 8. His disciples learn to trust in his word. Just as this widow had had come to the conclusion that she could trust the word of the Lord through 
Elijah, now his, the disciples of Jesus had concluded they could trust in his word. And it, I want to look at the verse in John 6 that it says, um, so yeah, so the woman had said, you know, the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. In John 6, one of the disciples says, um, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've learned to trust that what you're saying is true. It's from God. I th- what I want to finish up with is just talking about this idea of, of trust. What does faith look like? And I have two aspects I want to talk about. Because I, I think we all have to have that same come to that same spot that this woman did in, from, from Tyre, from Zarephath, as well as the disciples did. And I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to steal a stool and, and just sit and talk for a little bit about this because there's two aspects of faith that, that I think are, are distinct but related. And one is learning to trust in his word. So it talks about how they learned to trust that his word was true, was trustworthy. Have you, what would lead you to to be able to trust in God's word in your life? To believe that that it is the words of God and that we can can rely on, on the scriptures to lead our life. It's one thing to believe it's true like for religious purposes. But to believe it's reliable and to build our life based on his word. I, and I know sometimes we wrestle with, like, what does the word mean? What, how do we interpret it? Because we know sometimes people have misinterpreted God's word. And so I, it, it's understandable sometimes we wonder is that, that we have to wrestle with it first. And I think we're meant to wrestle with God's word. That it's not always jumping out at us. We, 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 we learn with it as we go back and forth with God. But nevertheless, despite that, have we learned to trust in it? When I was a, a new Christian, I, I had to figure out if I could trust God's word, trust the Bible, and, and believe that it really was God speaking. So I know some people grow up in church, and they, they're taught and they believe the Bible is the word of God. And through the Bible, they, they come to believe that Jesus is the son of God. That's the route some people have taken, many people even. Um, I came the other way. I came not believing in the Bible or anything, um, but I, re- I, I heard about Jesus, and I had an encounter in my, my inner being with, with the Lord, and I came to put my faith in Jesus. And then I'm like, okay, is this whole thing his word? Like, I believed in the teachings of Jesus because I'd met him, but it, but it took me a while, and my leader would, would begin to ta- teach that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, for teaching, rebuking, and training, and, and, and such, and building your life on. And, and so his challenge was simply study it, learn it, read it, and see what you think. And the longer I studied the Bible with the intent of putting it into practice, right, of, of seeing what God has to say to me, the more and more 
I've begun to trust that this is true. It is, it's, a, it's amazing. I, I see new insights every morning. I see God speaking to me through this word. Um, I recognize that sometimes people get misinterpreted, out, misinterpreted, but I have found that I can rely upon God's word as my authority in life and as a reliable source for direction. Where are you at with that? Is that something you're still figuring out? I would just encourage you, learn to study it. Study it with others. Study it on your own, but also study it with others. And if you have questions, it's okay to ask them. It's, we are meant to wrestle with the Word of God. We're meant to work it through and we say, well, this doesn't make sense. Well, work it through, think about it, talk with others, talk with me. I love answering Bible questions. Um, you know, God will show you over time. And that, but that's only half of the question of faith. We also need to learn to trust God for our day-to-day life. I think that image of daily bread, right? Learning to trust him day after day with the little things that come up. Learn to see how he can provide in the things the things we need. Um, Sometimes we can make our faith so very hypothetical. The daily bread is not hypothetical. Now, now here's the thing. You know, we even have our prayer. I keep referencing it. Sorry, my mic is not on tight today. I'll have to refigure that next time. Um, but, But, you know, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. The truth is, I don't need daily bread. I get way too many carbs as it is. Right? And so, but I have things in my life that I, I have to trust God on. Right? A lot, of, a lot of mine have to do with relationships. I need to trust God to get me through this relationship or how to, how to respond to this person or how to get through a conversation without saying something hurtful. Right? Like, I need God's day-to-day interaction as I learn to deal with people. Um, maybe... The, the, the daily bread that, that we need is, has to do with our finances. You know, well, we get enough bread, but we also got to pay rent, you know, or we got to, and learning to trust God with the things that I have. And, um, you know, sometimes what I need to learn is, I, you know, you see something, you want something, right? And, oh, I want that, I want that. And learning that I actually don't need that to be happy. I mean, it's a lesson we all got to learn at times, like, because we always want more and more of what we already have enough of. And sometimes the daily bread we need is saying, you know what, you could skip buying that one and just be content with what you have. Um, I mean, I, I could give you example after example. What does daily bread, what does it mean to trust in God for your day-to-day needs? Maybe it's the strength to make it through today. You know, we face times of discouragement and depression, and life seems overwhelming. And maybe you need to go to God and say, God, give me the strength that I can get through this day without crying. Yeah, I've been there. He's there, right, in our day-to-day lives. And he wants us to learn to trust him with those things, with those struggles. And so I just, you know, I can't answer for you what it is, what you're what it means for you to trust in, in the Lord in your day-to-day life. So I want you to just ponder that. 
Like, what does it mean for you this week to trust God for your day-to-day needs? And your Father wants you to learn to do that so that you could walk with Him and know Him. So that you could be like that, that, that mother who said, now I know. I've seen you answer. I've seen, I've seen it. You heard my prayer and I saw you answer. Now I know you really are the one who speaks truth. I want to close, and I often do the, the Lord's Prayer. I want us to close by praying it, but in a different way. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray with me, but I'm only going to do one line at a time. And as I pray, I want you to think about that line and make it a prayer to God. So in other words, when we just talk about Father, I just want you to talk to God as your Father. And so let's, let's make this kind of a closing time of prayer where we're seeking to trust our Father. Let's have an attitude of prayer as we do it. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And would you all pray with me? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.